Well, welcome to Emmanuel. It's so exciting to be here with you today. Whether you're joining us at our Banta campus, our Franklin campus, here at the Greenwood campus, or if you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. We started a series last week called Better Lovers, and this series is not about steamy romance, okay? Uh, that might be next year's topic for February, but not this year. Uh, this series is actually a pretty serious series. We started out last week, if you missed it, by saying, man, the human race is not doing so well. We are struggling. I mean, things are, anxiety is through the roof worldwide. Depression rates are at the highest they've ever been. Uh, you know, we have suicide rates among young people uh, that, are, that are absolutely through the roof. Like suicide is now the number one or number two cause of death among young people, uh, depending on what country you look at. We have this huge epidemic right now of human trafficking and prostitution, a $186 billion industry, people getting kidnapped and sold into sex slavery. It's just absolutely horrible. School shootings are on the rise constantly, and, and it's like, well, what is going on in a world today? It's never been, it seems like, it's never been this bad before. And what we said last week is that, man, the problem is with the human heart. Jesus actually said it like this in Matthew chapter 24. He said, in the end times, sin will be rampant everywhere. And that's what we're seeing. And I think the human trafficking and the sex slavery thing, that's a great example. Sin is running rampant all over the planet. And the love of many will grow cold. What does that mean? For the love in people's hearts to grow cold. It simply means they just don't care about other human beings. At best, it means they're just careless with the lives of other people. At worst, it means mistreatment, like verbal abuse and physical abuse and, and sexual abuse. And that's exactly what we're seeing in our world today. Just in one of our local high schools this week, there were six fistfights in one day at one of our local high schools over something that was said on uh, Twitter, one of the social media platforms. Six fistfights in one day. Two of those fistfights were recorded, as I mentioned last week. Instead of breaking up the fight, students pull out their phones and say, oh, this will be good. This will get a lot of likes or a lot of attention on my page. Sin runs rampant. The hearts of many. Love will grow cold in the hearts of many. That's what it looks like in our world, and that's what we're seeing. And the answer is not a political one. I'm all for politics. I vote. I think we should have great laws. I think we should have great politicians, but... That's just part of the issue. It won't solve it because politics will never touch what? Will never touch the what? The source of the, heart, the problem, which is the heart. The love in people's hearts for one another. Jesus said this. Here's the solution. Go out and become a disciple. Go out and make disciples. A disciple is someone who's a student of Jesus, who's dedicated their life to, be, uh, to obey the commands of Jesus. And one of the main commands that Jesus gave us as disciples is this in John 15, 17. This is my command, real simple. Love each other. Like it's not complicated. And what is love? Love is doing what is best for another person. Love, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, love does no wrong to his neighbor. Love is committed to only do what is good and what is best for his neighbor. Can you imagine what would happen in our communities, in our schools, in our country, and across, across the globe if people were committed to do no wrong to each other? What would happen to the kidnapping problem? What would happen to the sex slave trade? What would happen to prostitution? What would happen to school shootings? They, all of these things would be almost annihilated or they'd go away completely. Yes or no? If we would commit to love each other and do what Jesus said. He was pretty smart. Do you agree? 
<laughs> I hope you believe Jesus was the smartest person to ever walk this planet, because he was. And so last week we looked at loving difficult people. Jesus said, look, if you love those who love you, what credit is it, right? Like, like even sinners do that. Don't pat yourself on the back if you love people who treat you well. Like that's easy. You don't even have to be a disciple to do that. I'm calling you to do something much more difficult and that is to love your enemies. Difficult people, people who've hurt you. How do we do that? Well, last week we talked about refusing to retaliate, trusting God, right? Don't, refusing to get revenge. We talked about forgiveness and how you need to drop the charges and forgive that person. That opens up the door to love. And then if necessary, we talked about putting up a boundary, which protects your heart from getting hurt again and it creates the right environment for that person to change. So that was a real quick review of last week. If you want to watch the full version, you could do that on our website. Today I want to talk about this other group of people that Jesus calls us to love. And that is the people that disagree with us or the people that you disagree with. <laughs> They're everywhere. Have you noticed? <laughs> if you're looking for something else to read along with this series, I highly recommend a book called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. He wrote his first book called Love Does. It was a bestseller, all that stuff. This is the sequel to the book. I read it twice. I cried at least six times. It's absolutely phenomenal. In the book, in chapter one, I love the title of chapter one, Creepy People. <laughs> it's just fantastic. The, the subtitle says, Becoming Love in a World of Full, Full of Setbacks and Difficult People. So he just dives right in to this idea of what, is, what did Jesus mean when he said, love your enemies? This is, what, this is what Goff says. He meant that we should love the people we don't understand. The ones we disagree with. The ones who are flat wrong about more than a couple of things. I have plenty of people like that in my life, and my bet is that you do too. Yes? They're everywhere. People all around me think, I think you're wrong about that, 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 that. And then they point at me and they say, well, I think you're wrong about this, this, and this. That's the way we live in today. And it's been, it's been compounded by the use of the internet and social media platforms and Facebook and people have the opportunity more than ever to say what they believe about basically essentially everything. From border security to immigration to all the issues that are out there today in our world, we can just say, well, this is what I believe and this is my way. Like we've never, you realize as a human race, we've never been able to do that before. To just spout off about anything that we want to, about any issue out there. It's amazing how the world we live in today. At our fingertips, we have access to every issue and opinions about every issue, like more than ever in the history of the human race. So we gotta hear, we hear what people are thinking about the issues today. You know, what should we do about immigration? What should we do about this? What should we do? What's your opinion about this issue? And on top of all of the issues, we are pressured by different people in our life. Maybe it's the people we work with or our family members to kind of pick a side. Like, are you going to go Democrat on this one? Or are you going to go Republican? Are you going to be conservative on this one? Or are you going to go liberal? Are you going to be in this group? Or are you going to be the, Are you going to be Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter? Like, what group? Are you build the wall or not build the ball? Like, what group are you going to be in, right? And there's pressure. Like, if you're in a family that leans this way, it's like, maybe I should be, maybe I should believe this. Or maybe I should, but if you're in a, a situation at work and you, all, your, all your coworkers kind of believe this, you're just like, oh, maybe I should believe that. Maybe I should be in that group. 
And once you land in a group, guess what happens when you're a group? The natural, the natural outworking of that is that my group is now pitted against your group. And now there's this natural enemy that we have. Those Republicans. Those Democrats. Arr, whatever. I remember walking out of church one day. I heard somebody say um, they had a bumper sticker on their car at this campus. And uh, this tickles me. And I, the comment was made, well, I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote for him. <laughs> I love it. See, actually, I hate it, but I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny that people like think like all Christians go in this category. Oh, no, all Christians go in this category. Many of you don't know if I'm a Democrat or Republican, and that's on purpose. And it's in that environment where there's all these opinions about all these issues and, and different people joining different groups that Jesus speaks these words. Love each other, John 15, 17. This is my command. Love each other. The question I want to pose today is why is it so hard to love people that disagree with you? Like what? Why is that so difficult? I just kind of shared a little bit of why, but let me also talk about a, a natural pattern that people fall into. And this is just my observation, okay? I could be wrong. This is not in the Bible. You can disagree with me, okay? That's what this series is about, this sermon about. But this is just what I've observed. This is why it's so challenging because all of us are, are tempted to fall into this similar pattern. And, and it's five different phases. Phase one is disagreement. There's the initial, well, I don't see it that way. I disagree with you. I think we should handle that problem this way. I believe this about this. I believe this. And now there's a disagreement. Well, I have to happen to have a different opinion about that. Happens in church a lot. <laughs> Actually, Christians are some of the worst at this. Well, I think that we should, I think we should turn the music down. Well, I think we should turn the music up. <laughs> That's a big one. How do we know? Because you write it on your cards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why do we have to have smoke in the church? Like, why do we have to have lights? Let's have more smoke. Let's have more lights. Like, just, just you know, Christians are like, we, like we, we just have opinions and we want people to know about it, right? We, and we disagree about that. Years ago, we used to have teal carpet in the church. Some people love the teal carpet. You know, some people hated the teal carpet, right? You know, we had these chandeliers. Many, many years ago, we had these unbelievable church chandeliers in this room. They were something else. And, and people say, well, I love the chandeliers. Well, I, mean, I don't like the chandeliers. Well, Pastor Danny hated them, so they're gone. Just, uh, just, uh, I pulled an executive uh, order on that one. Uh, so chandeliers are, but just, you name it. The music's loud, this, that, this, what, what kind of, what kind of music are we going to do? Christians, are just, you know, well, are we, are we one of those churches that are predestination or, or, or not predestination? Or are we a free will church or are we a, a Calvinistic church? Like, like what, what are we? You notice I never talk about that stuff. Anybody ever pick up on that? You want to know why? Because it doesn't matter. <laughs> my theory is it'll all pan out in the end. That's my opinion. But we love to, we love to get into these, these, these disagreements and arguments, and then that becomes what church is all about, and that becomes what our faith, faith is all about, disagreement. And that's okay to disagree. I disagree with a lot of people. A lot of people disagree with me. That's okay. Here's where it gets a little bit dark and where we start going down the slippery slope. Then disagreement turns into blame. Phase two, blame. 
See, it's people who think like you that are the problem in this country. You're the problem in this church. You're the problem in this company. You're the problem in this family. It's, it's people who think like you, have positions like you, convictions like you, values yet like you, that you are the issue. The reason we are where we are today is because of people like you. And we start to blame people for problems. And then that blame quickly turns into something else called demonization. Phase three is demonization. And that's when we start labeling people. You are an idiot. You're so stupid. And I can't even say the other words in church. So I won't. But you know what people say about each other. Racial terms, slant. I mean, just, they start to put people, they demonize. What does that mean? It means to devalue somebody. They're now they're less than human. Think of, think of the term crooked Hillary. It's very effective. Because it's, it's not that he just disagreed with her. No, there's something fundamentally wrong with her character. That is demonization. Or, or on the other side, think of the word deplorables. All those deplorables who voted for Trump. See how that, see that, it goes from, well, they happen to disagree with me to, no, they are just completely corrupt people, deplorable people, crooked Hillary. Why do, why do politicians do this? Because it works. It makes that person less than human. So we have this disagreement, then it goes to, it's your fault, now, now you're less than a human being, or, or you're just less valuable. And then we quickly go to contempt, phase four. What am I explaining here? I'm explaining the downward spiral of why it's so hard to love people you disagree with. Phase four is contempt. Contempt is like anger on steroids. Contempt says, I'm so mad at you, I wish you weren't even here. Once we get to contempt, this is why Jesus had some very powerful things to say about anger. Because once, once we get angry with somebody, it quickly goes to contempt. And contempt says, you're so worthless, the earth would be better off without your presence. That's a dangerous place to be. Phase four is contempt, which leads quickly to phase five, which is mistreatment. Now the door is open because it's your fault. You're less than human. I completely hate you. And now the earth will be better without you. So what can I do to get rid of you? Let me vandalize your store. Let me throw a brick through your window. Let me, let me graffiti your, graffiti your, your, you know, whatever. And, and we just start to verbally, physically abuse people. This is what happened this week in our high school, one of our high schools. This happens all the time at high school sporting events when the referee makes a bad call. <laughs> Ever been there? I've been there many times, and I've jumped right on the bandwagon. All of a sudden, it's the referee's fault. I disagree with this call. I blame him for the outcome of the game. Now I'm going to start talking about his wife. Somehow the ref beats his wife. I mean, can you remember chanting that? I can't even say that out loud. I just did. But we used to chant that in the crowd. It's unbelievable the things we used to say as high school students, right? Somehow it went to demonization. Then it went to this guy is worthless. Then it went to let's see if we can mistreat him. And referees have been beaten up after games. Sometimes they, they even hire security. Referees hire security. Of course they do. Why? Because people are crazy. <laughs> they do this. By the way, every single genocide that's ever happened has followed this pattern. Disagree with these people. It's their fault. They're like cockroaches. 
rats, vermin, mice. This is what Nazi Germany did with propaganda films. They would equate Jewish people to rats and cockroaches on video until all of the German people saw the Jewish people as less than human. They had hatred in their hearts and then it started with vandalism and they removed their right to vote and they removed their right to shop at certain places and buy groceries and they, they made them wear patches and then all of a sudden it led to the unthinkable firing squads and, and, and ovens and mass murder. This is, these are, these are people just like me and you. Like at the time that Nazi Germany pulled all of that off, those atrocities, there was a vibrant church, pastors preaching the word of God every Sunday in churches all throughout Germany, just like in America. How did that happen? This slow process, this downward spiral to where suddenly it became okay to mistreat a Jewish person. Powerful. You're not above it. I'm not above it. And we have to stop this downward spiral. How did it start? It started with a disagreement. Totally fine. We just can't let it go to blame, demonization, and on down to contempt and then mistreatment. Let me give you three ideas on how to stop that. This is just what I do in my life. I think it's the right call. You may have a better idea, but this is what I see in the Bible. This is what I see in the scriptures. How do we love people we disagree with? Number one, we have to see, we have to understand their inherent dignity. People have value because of who they are, not what they believe. People have value because they, they exist, not because they, they have ideas that align with yours. The first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says this. So God created human beings, every single one of them, in his own image. In the image of God, he did what? He, say it with me, he created them. Male and female, he did what? He created them. Anytime you read a verse in the Bible where a word is repeated two or three times, pay attention. God's trying to get a message through. He's trying to say to you and I, I, and when you look at a human being, I am, I have created them. You're looking at my creation. I'm the artist. And human beings have inherent Dignity, dignity because of the artist. This is a painting uh, that was painted back in the 1940s. In 2006, this painting, it's called the Dora Mar Akat. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. <laughs> this painting in 2006 sold at an auction for $95,216,000. It's the most, one of the most expensive paintings in the world, okay? Take a good look at it. <laughs> Anybody have a five-year-old daughter? <laughs> because I think she might be able to do a better job than this. What do you think, yes or no? Anybody have a four-year-old daughter? Three-year-old daughter, I mean, we could keep going. Dora Mara Akat, why is it called Akat? Because there's a little cat right here. You can see it there. You probably missed it. I did too. See him? Little kitty cat. It's a bad drawing of a kitty cat. Okay. $95 million. What is, like, what's going on with the face? Is that a nose? Is that an ear? We just don't know. We don't know. Is she a witch? Kind of inspired. You ever see the movie back in the 80s, Beetlejuice? Anybody? Child of the 80s. Beetlejuice, 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 and he would show up. I, like, I think this inspired Beetlejuice. I don't know. I could be wrong. 
$95 million. Anybody else confused? I was until I discovered that the, uh, the, the painter was none other than Pablo Picasso. And if you know anything about art, he's one of the most famous artists to ever live. So the painting has this tremendous value to it, not because we're like, wow, that's awesome, <laughs> but because of who painted it. See, when you look at a human being, we shouldn't say, you know, wow, based on their opinions or their accomplishments or how they look or how they, what they've done with their life. We should say, wow, because of the artist who made the human. And that artist is none other than God himself. Human beings have inherent dignity, inherent value. C.S. Lewis helped me see this years ago when I read his book, The Weight of Glory. And in the book, he says this about human beings. I have to read. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's worth it. He says in the book here, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, talking about people's future destination. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature, which if you say it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship in their glorified state. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you may meet, if at all, only in a nightmare, their position in hell. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities of heaven or hell. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. Friendships, love, play, and politics. How do we treat each other? There are no ordinary people, Lewis says, and he is spot on. No ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. What do you do to a gnat? You kill it, right? He says nations, cultures, arts, they, they disappear forever. They're gone. They're not eternal. But it is immortals, people who will live forever, either in heaven or in hell, that we joke with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the blessed sacrament, the body and blood of Christ presented in communion, your neighbor is the holiest object to your senses. Changed my life. This allows me to be a pastor. Person walks through the door, this church disagrees with me on every single issue under the sun. Guess what I can do for them? I can love them because of the inherent dignity that they hold as a creation of God. Love, how do you love somebody you disagree with? You see and you understand the bestowed value, the inherent dignity in them. Does this make sense, yes or no? Talk to me, talk to me or else I'm, think, I'm starting to think I'm crazy. <laughs> Don't clap for me, clap for the truth right there, right? So that's number one. Number two, we have to understand, we have to, we have to take the, the humble route. We have to put ourselves in a humble posture towards other human beings. We must be humble if we want to love those who disagree with us. What am I talking about? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this. I love this. The Apostle Paul writes, Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, that's the key, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Not if they agree with you, 
but just because they are a human being. Can you imagine treating every single person that you run into at school, at the office, in the community, at Target, wherever it is you shop, at the bank, at a coffee shop, as more important than yourself? Something tells me we would stop that downward spiral of disagreement, blame, demonization, contempt, and mistreatment. Because how do we treat people that we feel are more important than us? I don't know about you, but here's, what, here's how I react. When I meet somebody that is clearly more important to me according to the world standards, uh, you know, they have more influence than I do in the community, they have more money, they're able you know, to do things I can't do because of their power, they have more people that, that underneath them or whatever, right? I know, the, I know those are all the world standards, but you know when you meet someone who's more important than you, right? Yes or no? Or am I crazy again? No? Am I crazy? Okay. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. But I know when I'm sitting in front of somebody that is actually more important than me according to the world standards. And you know what I do when I'm in a situation like that? Sometimes it's with somebody famous. I don't meet a lot of famous people, but I meet them. Met a guy in the Saints the other day. It's pretty cool. He's like 6'10". Anyway, I was looking up to him (laughs) physically and emotionally. Anyway, (laughs) Um, here's what I do. I'm like, I listen more. Like, dude, dude, like, you're important. Talk to me. Like, I'm, I, like, you have more power, more influence, more. And I sit and I talk less and I listen more. I give out honor and respect when I know for a fact that I'm with someone who's more important than me. This is just natural human behavior. I struggle with this in my home. Because I know I'm the most important person in my house. <laughs> I can't believe I said that out loud. Oh, that's great. Sometimes I tell my sons, I say, hey, who pays the mortgage around here? That's right, buddy. When you start paying the mortgage, you can start making the decisions, okay? Until then, you surrender and submit. There we go. But it's hard when you... When, 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 Here's what Paul is saying. When this is actually true, it's easy. But what if you just did it with everybody, regardless if you were the more important person? What if you just naturally said, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm in humility. Every person that I meet, I'm going to treat as if they are more important. They have more value than I do. What would happen to the downward cycle of mistreatment? It would end. Because what do we do with people who we feel are more important than us? We give them honor. We give them respect. We don't talk over them. Can you imagine if they did this on CNN and Fox News? Like, they, 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 would, they might actually listen to each other instead of talking over each other. That's, I can't even watch it anymore. Because you could see, you can almost feel the contempt in each other's eyes and in their, in their tone of voice when they're speaking over each other. If they could take a fist and hit each other, they would. And so instead, they verbally assassinate each other. Humility. Understanding inherent dignity. These are ways that we open up the door to love those we disagree with or who disagree with us. And then this last one, and the last one, number three, becomes possible because of number two and number one, we give respect. Humility, recognizing inherent value and dignity, opens up the door for us to heap huge amounts of respect on people. Not because of their opinions, but because of who they are created in God's image. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul. 
encouraging us to become better lovers. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love that term brotherly affection because I've got friends who are guys and, and, and man, I, got, I mean, they would come to my defense. They, they would help me out. There's just this tenderness and like whatever you need and I have that in my life. And so I, I understand this term brotherly affection. Like I, I'm, I have your back. And then right after he says brotherly affection, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's one of my favorite statements in the whole Bible when it comes to relationships. I think because there's a hint of competition and I'm a very competitive person, if you haven't recognized that by now. (laughs) Outdo. You show me honor, I'm going to do you better. You respect me, I'm I'm going to take it up a notch. You show me some, some, some deep respect, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you even more respect than you gave to me. Can you picture a marriage like that? Some of you need to pay attention because your marriage is struggling. This will fix your marriage today. Outdo your spouse in showing respect. Outdo your spouse in showing honor. Jackie and I have done this. This is, this is my marriage verse. Like It ain't a marriage verse, but it is for me. I made it one. <laughs> so she shows me respect. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do it better. She shows me honor. I'm going to show her even more honor in front of the children or whatever, whether some serving her or some way. If she does it, I'm going to do it. And guess what she does? She, she returns it. And then I return it. And she returns it. And then I return it. What kind of marriage do you think that creates? Do you think two people feel really good in a marriage like that? You better believe they do. Because you know what destroys most marriages? Disrespect and dishonor. Just, you don't know what you're doing. You're an idiot. You're stupid. You would never get things right. Just disrespect it. Go ahead and disrespect your spouse for a couple of years. You'll get divorced. But you could flip it around and outdo one another. Picture a business partnership. And the business is doing well and profits are up. And, you know, everybody's happy. And, 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 and the boss says to the number two person, man, I think the reason this business is doing so well is because you redid the website. And, and you're making it easy for people to buy product. And you have so many creative ideas. And, and the marketing is just so excellent. And, and, the, and, the, and the number two person is saying, no, 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 no. See, you got it all wrong. See, the reason the business is doing so well is because of your courageous leadership and the clarity of our vision. And every day you bring motivation and inspiration to the team. And that's why the company's doing so well. And then the leader says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You see, the reason we're doing so well, and they just go back and forth and back and forth, honoring each other, outdoing one another and showing respect. You know how you break that cycle of disagreement and blame? and demonization, and contempt, and then finally mistreatment, give heaps and loads of respect to people based on their inherent dignity, not their opinions. If you wait around for them to agree with you, you will never show respect, and you will close the door on love, and you will go like this. If you wait around for people to earn your respect, just give it. Just give it. Just start today. Just just go home today and give out huge amounts of respect. Dallas Willard said this, respect guards against mistreatment. I can avoid hurting people. You can avoid hurting people, saying things that are mean. Pay attention, students, because you guys do it like crazy on Twitter and Facebook. I don't understand it. 
You will not say hurtful things on social media about another person if you respect them, students. Respect always guards against mistreatment. It protects you. It protects the other person. It keeps the door open for love. Now, I know that this is a a complicated uh, idea, and it's a tough tension to live in. And the reason that it's a tough tension to live in is because our society, the culture that we live in, has put out this idea, two ideas really. And Rick Warren captured this better than anybody else. So I'm just going to quote him to you guys and just let his words speak. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first one is this, that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. Not true. But that's the culture, right? Oh, you disagree with me? You must be against me. You must hate me. No, I just, I just disagree. <laughs> Sorry. The other lies sounds like this. Someone, you know, if you love someone, that means you must agree with everything they believe or do. Oh, you're with me then. You, you affirm, you support, you're on my side. No, I, I just love you, dude. I think you're wrong, but I love you. Both are nonsense, he says. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. You don't have to give up your values to show love. How? By doing the three things I just explained to you. By recognizing inherent value and dignity. By showing respect through humility. How does this look? I'll give you an example. A couple couple weeks ago I met with somebody that was so angry with me and our church on a particular position that we hold, theological position. And and it was going to be a tense meeting, but... You know, I just wanted, I need, we needed to have it because it wasn't getting resolved. And so we met and we started the conversation. I said, hey, let's, let's talk this through. I listened to her and she shared what she believed and why she was so hurt about why the church was opposed to that position. And I said, okay, and you know, let's listen, listen, listen. Probably for about 10 minutes, I just listened to her. At the end of the 10 minutes, she, she said, okay, now, you know, I want to I hear what you have to say now. And so I said, okay, well, you know, here's what we believe and here's why and here's the Bible verses that say it and this is why we've come to this position and it's not because we don't love people, it's just because we want to discern God's will on this matter and we feel like we have and this is our position. Respect, honor. We went back and forth a few more times. The meeting lasted about an hour. Here's how it ended. She said, so basically what you're telling me is that I have to decide if I'm going to agree with your interpretation of the Bible or not. I said, that's a great, great, great way to put it. Yeah. We hugged. We prayed. And the meeting, it was over. It was absolutely wonderful. And we totally disagree on this issue. No one was convinced. I didn't have my mind changed. She didn't have hers changed. But we were able to love each other. Folks, I haven't always been able to do that. <laughs> I'm growing. I'm becoming a better lover. And, and, and how did that, how is that possible? I'm telling you, it's because of inherent value, humility, and respect. You dish it out, you're going to be able to love the people at your office, in your home, wherever it is. But you don't have to agree with them. But you stop the pattern of mistreatment. Here's my closing question for you today. Who do you struggle to love because you disagree with them? Unless we put flesh and blood on this talk, it's not going to help you. 
there's somebody, a two somebodies, a three somebodies <laughs> that, that you disagree with. And, and, and because of that disagreement, you, you're, just, you're just angry and just ready to, you know, I don't know what. Maybe you've even crossed a line before and you've done some verbal assassinations or some verbal violence. And then you're gonna back it up. Who is it? Listen, as a Christ follower, as a disciple, you're not permitted to do this downward spiral into contempt and mistreatment. Like Jesus said, you must love your enemies. Like you don't even have the option as a disciple. If you're not a disciple, I guess you could. I wouldn't recommend it. But as a disciple of Jesus, you must do what I say. I don't say that a lot, but I'm saying it today. You must do what I say. Okay, Jesus, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. But you, you don't have an option here to mistreat people and live with contempt in your heart. So my challenge is to you today, take, put flesh and blood on this and, and ask God to help you to love that person that you disagree with. You know, Jesus modeled the way for us in this. Like he didn't, he didn't wait for us to agree with him before he died on the cross. Have you, have you ever recognized that? Like he, he didn't choose to die on the cross for us 2000 years ago because people had a, a change of heart. Like, oh, these people have come around. <laughs> Let's go redeem them. Let's go reconcile. No, and the Bible says that while we were sinners, while our backs were turned on God, Jesus did what was best for us. He demonstrated his love for us and he died on the cross. He led the way in loving people who disagree with him. Have you accepted his sacrifice? Have you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins? He loved you when you completely disagreed with him. My hope and prayer is that you would put your trust in him, you put your faith in him, you'd ask him to wash away your sins, forgive you, and that you would be reconciled to God through his sacrifice on the cross. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. If you've never done that before and you're watching online, all of our campuses, if you've never trusted Christ before, you've thought about it, this is perhaps the moment where you do so. He loved you so much. He didn't wait around for you to agree. He did what you needed most. Will you put your faith in him? Will you put your trust in him today? Will you pray with me? Take these words, make them your own. Jesus, I ask you to wash me of all my sin. Cleanse me. I put my trust in you today. I put my faith in you today. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and you rose again to take away the penalty. So make me your child right now by faith. Teach me to obey you. Teach me to love my neighbor as myself. May my life honor you from here out. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, our church wants to celebrate with you, don't we guys? Nice and loud, come on best decision you'll ever make. We would like to put a new believer's Bible in your hand. So if you trusted Christ today at Banta, Franklin, Greenwood here or online, make sure that you uh, grab one of these on your way out. If you did it online, there's a little space there that you can check that says, uh, I trusted Christ. Put your address in there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, guys, so we give God glory for what he's doing. Amen. <laughs>